everybody pastor fields here and you know what today is today is bible study day every wednesday we've been coming together and i thank god always you hear me say it every week i thank god for another opportunity for us to come together to go into the word of the lord so his word certainly can go into us Let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Father, we love you. We thank you. We glorify your wonderful name. So good. You've been to us kind, merciful, loving. We ask, O oh God, your continued blessings in our lives. Certainly it is a blessing for you to allow us to come together week by week. And again, we're here, hungry for your word. Touch us tonight. Minister to us tonight, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you now. As you know, we have been teaching a series on the seven churches of Asia Minor. And um, the theme of our uh, lesson has been a letter from Jesus. And we've gone from church to church. Uh, we started with Ephesus. Uh, from Ephesus, we went to Smyrna. From Smyrna, Pergamus. From Pergamus, Thyatira. From Thyatira. Sardis, uh, from Sardis, Philadelphia, and the very last church uh, here in chapter 3 of the book of Revelation is the Laodicean church, uh, that church in Laodicea. Um, and as we stated, each church represents an era, ERA, within history, uh, church history, and uh, it gives us a message today also. Jesus is writing a letter to the church. Uh, we are in the last book of the Bible, uh, that text that tells us about the end times, tribulation period, uh, but we also uh, get a word, as we have been getting uh, throughout the New Testament, letting us know that the church will not be in tribulation period. Um, so he's writing to the church, uh, letting us know the things we need to tighten up, the things we need to get together uh, so we can be with him forever, throughout eternity. Um, so let's get into it. Laodicea, uh, for many, um, is a study of contrast uh, from history, and we learned that Laodicea was a proud and prosperous city. Let's read um, out of the word of God uh, because this is that lukewarm church, that, that church that made our Savior nauseous, so nauseous that he would say, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, 
I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To he that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, for effect, I want to read out of the Common English Bible. Sounds more uh, like how we talk today. Write this to the angel of the church in Laodicea. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. After all, you say I'm rich and I've grown wealthy and I don't need anything. You don't realize that you are miserable, pathetic, poor, blind, and naked. My advice is that you buy gold from me that has been purified by fire so that you may be rich and white clothing to wear so that your nakedness won't be shamefully exposed. An ointment to put on your eyes so that you may see I correct and discipline those whom I love. So be earnest and change your hearts and lives. Look, I'm standing at the door knocking. If any man hears my voice and open the door, I will come in to be with him. And I'll have dinner with him. Mm-hmm. And they will have dinner with me. As for those who emerge victorious, I will allow them to sit with me on my throne, just as I emerged victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. If you can hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So, uh, here we are in Laodicea, that lukewarm church. Um, and this church... Um, they had an independent attitude um, as, as it's reflected in their name, Laodicea. Uh, it means the people decide or the people judge. So the Laon, uh, I'm sorry, the Laodicean era describes the condition of the church of God just before the return of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Many believe, many theologians and Bible scholars believe um, that we're living in the Laodicean age. Uh, the people decide. The people judge. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a pretty picture. And here is Jesus writing to the Laodicean church. And it is a reflection of what uh, much of what we see today. And Jesus is getting ready to come. He's, these are the last days. 
Um, perhaps this is why some try to deny that these seven churches represent seven historical eras uh, because it would make many people feel uncomfortable the truth of the message that's being conveyed to each church especially this church uh, I wish you were hot or cold but because you're lukewarm I'm going to spit you out of my mouth so there's a charge against them their, their lukewarm attitude uh, so then I'm in Revelation 3.16 so then because Thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Uh, their wealth and prosperity was fostering an attitude of worldliness. You know, we got money, we got all of this, uh, and they had a worldly attitude. They're lukewarm about the truth. Obedience to God's commandments or God's word and their mission to preach the gospel. They, they were lukewarm. Uh, so they would be the church uh, that's attempting and doing their best to be politically correct. Don't want to offend anyone and uh, don't, don't preach this but preach that. Uh, they were very independent, a very independent attitude. Uh, and they would say within their hearts, uh, we don't need anything. Jesus says this to them in verse 17, because you say I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and know us not, you, you don't have a clue as to how bad off you are. Uh, and you don't even know that you're wretched, you're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. There's a, one of Aesop's fables. This reminds me of the king's new clothes. I don't know if you've ever read that story, but uh, a tailor came to town and told the king, I'm going to make you the most uh, fantastic outfit you've ever seen. Uh, all of the kingdom uh, will be raving about it. And you know, th this tailor spent a while uh, acting like he was uh, making measurements and, and uh, uh, coming into the king daily and to prepare and do this. Uh, so when it came time for the king to march down the street in a parade, people were amazed to see that the king was coming down the middle of the street with absolutely no clothes on. Yes, didn't even realize that he was naked uh, and this Laodicean church, they would, he told them, you don't even see that spiritually you're naked. Uh, so here's the indictment against them. Uh, and you even have the attitude where you're looking at God saying, I don't need anything. Hallelujah. I have need of nothing. And know it's not that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, um, some historical facts about Laodicea. This place, Laodicea, was known for its eye salve. Uh, it was made from uh, the clay uh, in the city, and they would mix it with water and, and other things, and they would make an eye salve, and it was famous. Uh, they would even send it around to other parts 
of the world where people needed this eye salve. Um, now, since then, uh, through ex excavation uh, and uh, other scientists coming in the area and, and uh, digging up fossils and uh, finding this actual clay, uh, they analyzed it. Uh, and they found that there was really no healing uh, components in this clay. Uh, but people literally believed that if I use this eye salve, it would help me with my eyesight. Uh, they were noted for the eye salve, yet the Bible describes it uh, even with the eye salve, you are blind to your own spiritual condition. Uh, they were intellectually sophisticated. Yeah. Uh, so they had a lot to brag about. They were wealthy. They were well off. Um, but something was wrong. There was a disconnect. Uh, there was an intellectual sophistication. Uh, and, but they had no discernment. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen people in, in church like that? They, they brag about how educated they are. But when it comes to spiritual things, uh, they have no discernment. Uh, and they had a lack of discernment. Laodiceans, also, they produced a fine black wool clothing. Uh, but the Bible calls them naked. So you produce an eye salve, but you're blind. You are producing a fine black wool, but you're naked. Uh, you're in need of white garments. Wow. Revelation 17 uh, and 18, because you say I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint your eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. So in a sense, these naked uh, Laodiceans, spiritual nakedness we're talking about, they lack the vital pieces of spiritual armor. They were not spiritual. Uh, they were operating in the flesh. Uh, they had money, they had sophistication, they had education, but they were spiritually blind, they were naked, uh, and they lacked spiritual armor. Uh, and what is that armor? Faith, love, perseverance, commitment to the truth, and godly fear of disobeying God's word. Um, they were failing to exercise under the unction of the Holy Ghost. Uh, you remember in Ephesians, Paul's, Paul's writings in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 19, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Doesn't say be strong in money, be strong uh, with education. And listen, there's nothing wrong with having money in your pocket and uh, education in your mind. Uh, but it cannot supersede the move of God. Uh, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, the whole armor, the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. Therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So Paul is admonishing them to stand firm in times of trial and preach the gospel with boldness. Mm-hmm. Don't trade your spirituality for anything. Don't, don't trade it. Uh, the Lord speaks to them. He, he gives them an indictment. So this picture that we're getting of this sophisticated, self-sufficient church uh, that was trusting in its own wealth, uh, it bragged about how many members they had. So they bragged about wealth and numbers and wisdom. We're smart. We're educated. Uh, so they had the appearance of being strong and stable. Uh, they had the appearance of being unified. Uh-huh. Uh, but internally, they were divided. Remember, man looks on the outward appearance, but God is looking on the inside. Uh, here, we had a church full of independent-minded individuals, uh, now, independent, so independent that they were independent from God, not allowing the Holy Ghost to lead them, uh, not allowing uh, the Holy Ghost to bring discernment, uh, but doing everything in their own strength, their own power. Uh, so these independent-minded people unwittingly were rejecting the leadership of Jesus Christ. Uh, they were doing their own thing. And here we are in the Laodicean age where people are doing their own thing. Uh, is it God? They're doing their own thing. Remember, the word Laodicea means uh, the people will decide. The people will judge. That's what the word means. And they were living that out. We'll decide. We'll make the decision. Not God. We'll make the decision. Uh, so uh, that democratic uh, mentality. And remember, the house of God, the body of Christ, is not a democracy. It's a theocracy. Uh, so, uh, and this attitude extended Listen, listen to my notes. This attitude extended to decisions about doctrine. Where, well, we're not going to baptize in Jesus' name. We're going to do it this way. We're going to do it that way. So decisions about doctrine, organization, uh, governance, mission and methods, uh, we'll do it our way. Uh, 
And when you read the word of God, and particularly the book of Acts, uh, many times it says the Holy Ghost said, the Holy Ghost told them, the Holy Ghost led them. But today, people are doing what they want to do. The people will decide. The people will judge. Uh, this lukewarm attitude <laughs> uh, is prophesied to become dominant in the church of God at the end of the age. Think about what I'm saying. The lesson of Laodicea is an urgent one. We all need to take heed and listen. Uh, he had no commendation for this church. No, uh, he comes strong with an indictment. Wake up before it's too late and ask God to open your eyes to see your own spiritual condition. Don't look at anybody else. Don't point fingers at anybody else. Wake up before it's too late and see your own spiritual condition. Repent. Now, uh, here's a word in, in the household of faith that uh, the saints get offended when you use the word repent. Uh, and immediately they get on the defense of, well, child, I've been saved X amount of years. Uh, I've been saved longer than you. Who are you to tell me to repent? Jesus is writing a letter to the Laodicean church. Wake up before it's too late and ask God to open up your eyes so you can see your own spiritual condition. You are poor, wretched, blind, you're naked. Repent of your complacency, your compromise, your materialism, and your stubborn independence where you're telling God, I don't need you. I can make my own decision. I'm educated. I got money. I can handle this. Respond to the leadership of Christ. Hallelujah. Respond to the move of the Holy Spirit so you don't lose your reward. He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. So listen, the letters to the seven churches, um, as we said in the seven uh, church errors that they represent, all contain important, very important lessons. And we've been through these. But I, I want you to know that if we take heed to the lessons that the Lord Jesus Christ is, is attempting to convey to us, uh, listen, uh, he says, uh, under the pen of John, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Revelation 3 and 22, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we, as people of God, have to understand uh, how these lessons apply to us personally. Lord, help me to see my spiritual condition. Create in me a clean heart. Renew the right spirit within me. Blot out my transgressions. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Listen, uh, could you imagine uh, if you had a surgeon uh, or, uh, and, and let's stay with the surgeon. What if you had a lukewarm surgeon. He didn't care uh, about how clean he was. He didn't, he didn't care about following proper procedure. 
He didn't care uh, what incision he made because they're different incisions. So he didn't care if he marked you up. He didn't care if he cut you in the, in the wrong place. Could you imagine? Would you want him operating on you? Would, would you want someone uh, telling you about Christ or, or leading you in the house of faith uh, who could care less about your soul or uh, they're only uh, interested in money and power and, and homes? Uh, what if your surgeon, what if your doctor was lukewarm? What if he had that kind of attitude? Just give me your money. Just pay your insurance so I can get paid. He didn't care if he gave you the right medicine, right? So would you want to sit in the house where the, the pastor didn't care whether you got the truth or not as long as you feel good when you leave? This was Laodicea. Uh, they had money. They were sophisticated. They had intelligence, but... Uh, they had a lack of spiritual discernment uh, and where they looked like they had it together, uh, they were disconnected. Uh, they were in the middle. They were lukewarm, right? What if your, your uh, police department had that attitude? Uh, what if your teachers uh, had an attitude? What if your supervisor right, at work had that attitude. I don't care if you get paid. I don't care if your check is not right. I don't care. Uh, life would be miserable. And we've met people like that. It was miserable. And Jesus is telling this church how miserable he feels when he looks at, to see their hearts and their minds and what they're doing. He says, you're lukewarm. And because you're neither hot or cold, I'm, I feel like I'm going to vomit and spit you out of my mouth. Hallelujah. My Lord. So uh, he writes to the angel of the church. He's writing to the pastor. Uh, verse 14, let's break it down. Um, here is that all conquering, uh, all convicting, all controlling God speaking to the household of faith, right? Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write these things. I am the amen. I have the last word. Hallelujah. I'm in charge. You may not think so, but I'm in charge. I have the last say. I'm faithful. I'm true. I'm that faithful and true witness. Hallelujah the beginning of the creation of God. I control everything. I am the creator. Hallelujah. I am the originator. I, I created this church. It belongs to me. Don't mess over the things of God. Don't be lukewarm. Be hot if you are all cold. If you are cold, I can deal with that better, but you're, you're lukewarm. Understand even historically also, uh, that where Laodicea was uh, at geographically, they had a water issue, um, uh, drinking water. Uh, they had they had issues, and so what they had to do, they had to build an aqueduct uh, leading from the mountains down into Laodicea, uh, and there were uh, hot springs. Those hot springs are still there. 
uh, in western Turkey uh, where they would pull up the waters from these hot springs. And by the time uh, they got the water from the hot springs uh, into Laodicea, it was lukewarm. The cold water from the mountain, the snow would melt and roll down the aqueduct. But by the time it got into Laodicea, it was lukewarm. Mm -hmm. uh, lukewarm water is not good to the taste or for the palate. And there's something else you need to understand. Uh, if that water sits long enough, uh, it becomes stagnant. Stagnant water. Uh, after a while, it draws mosquitoes and other parasites uh, where the water is not even good for drinking. Uh, and if you drink that water, it'll make you sick. So God uh, was telling them, you make me sick. I feel sick in my stomach uh, because of your lukewarm attitude towards ministry, towards me. Hallelujah. Uh, lukewarm church uh, is a nauseating church, a church that doesn't care whether you hear the truth or not. Uh, and the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Uh, so in a lukewarm church, who can be delivered? In a lukewarm church, uh, who's going to hear the truth, the gospel, the true gospel? Uh, and what happens then? Because uh, the church has become deluded. Hallelujah. Deluded. Uh, and it is a sickening compromise. Hallelujah. Revelation 3, I'll read verses 15 and 16. Uh, I know thy works, uh, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. That's the compromise. Uh, but here's their complacency. 3.17, because you said I'm rich uh, and increase with goods and have need of nothing. They had become uh, comfortable in their material gain. I got money. I got an education. Uh, I don't need all that spiritual stuff. Uh, but the Lord said, you don't even realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Uh, and because of this, listen, because they leaned on their wealth and their education, uh, it made way for them to pull in other things other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and here uh, we get a look at the end time, the Laodicean age, um, where the church has made way because of its compromise and its complacency, right? This is why we hear more prosperity preaching right? Um, this is why we hear so many prophets come to town and all they talk about is how much money you can get, how, how many cars you can drive, compromise and complacency. When people want to be rich, they want to be comfortable, but they don't want to be holy. And the true word of God is not being delivered. Uh, and it is made way. Listen, I, I made up a list. It has, it has made up a way for all of these isms, isms to come in to the church among the congregation. 
among the church. Fundamentalism. I got it right. Fundamentalism, ritualism, uh, rationalism, socialism, occultism, uh, ecumenicalism, materialism. Uh, I'm going to go through them. Uh, Let's take fundamentalism. Uh, there's a wonderful book that you uh, you need to get when you get a chance. Uh, get into reading and studying the Word of God. It's written by uh, J.I. Packard. And the name of the book is Fundamentalism and the Word of God. Um, in simple words, fundamentalism is a strict interpretation of Scripture, uh, sort of like the Pharisees and Sadducees. If you bring it more up to date, uh, Protestant Christians um, and there are other sects that I could mention, other reformations that I could mention who uh, they believe that all the miracles in the Bible really happen. Uh, They do that, but there are certain things that they will not take literally, Uh, certain concepts, especially as it relates uh, to religion. Um, listen, I'm going to read my notes. What religions, uh, what religions are fundamentalists? The most well-known fundamentalist denominations in the United States are the Assemblies of God, Southern Baptist Convention, Seventh-day Adventists, organizations such as these often become politically active and support the conservative political right, including groups like the Moral Majority. Now, um, it's not all of them. Uh, I would pull Seventh-day Adventists out because their, their history, they have a very strong history of fighting against slavery. Uh, but because they took everything literal, slavery is in the Bible, so they took the word of God and used it to hold black people. Now, this is Black History Month. To hold black people in, into slavery. Uh, some of these reformations, they're the ones that kept us in slavery, right? Uh, where the preacher, the white preacher, would get up in the pulpit and tell us that we have no souls, uh, that, that we were not uh, totally human from the pulpit, uh, where certain things were taken out of the Bible. Uh, and we have uh, what's called the slave Bible. If you get a chance Get yourself a copy of the Slave Bible, everything pertaining to freedom. Uh, it'll tell you that um, the Egyptians held the Israelites in captivity, but it, you won't find any scripture in the Slave Bible that talks about uh, the Lord delivering them out of slavery. Uh, so they would take it so ritual, I mean, uh, literal, uh, until they would use it to oppose Uh, other people. Uh, Well, there's the the ism, uh, ritualism. Um, And the Christian church has a history of becoming ritualistic. Uh, And it simply refers to an emphasis on rituals and liturgical ceremony. Uh, There are certain things that we should do, uh, certain sacraments like communion, Listen to this. Uh, the regular observance or practical practice, rather, of ritual, especially when excessive or without regard to its function. Uh, 
a traditional or fixed way of behaving. Um, so um, there's an article that I wrote. Uh, not I didn't write it. I read uh, entitled uh, Ritual versus Ritualism. And there are certain things that we should do. But um, where ritualism is damaging is when it's no longer a part of uh, your heart. It's just a routine. So uh, like there's certain things we can do ritualistically, uh, but our heart is no longer in it. This is what happened with Ephesus. You have, you're doing all this work. You've got a routine now. You got it down pat, but you've left. You've left your first love. Uh, listen uh, to my notes. Uh, and there's an article. You can find it. Uh, Ligonier.com uh, is a good resource. L-I-G-O-N-I-E-R.com. And there's an article there. Uh, I forget the author's name, but it's entitled Ritual versus Ritualism. Um, the article says, Scripture certainly warns us that our worship can become more routine and that we can falsely put our trust in worship practices and elements and not in God. So uh, Jeremiah warns the people of God, uh, of Judah rather, who trusted in the fact that the temple stood in Jerusalem, when they were confronted with their sin, they thought they could do whatever they wanted because they had the temple and the liturgy given by God, but they failed to understand that rituals are useless without faith. I'll read it for you. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, hear the word of the Lord, hear the word of the Lord. John says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church. All ye of Judah that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. They were wrapped up in the building, the temple. As long as I can get to church, as long as I can get into the service, uh, but they were disconnected. They were living any kind of way that they wanted to live. Um, they failed to live according to faith. And faith is more than just saying, I believe. It's obeying the word of God, living according to his word. Um, so I'm not saying that their uh, ritual is inherently bad. Uh, if they were, listen to my notes, God hardly could have instituted uh, the sacrificial system or other ritual events such as the Lord's Supper. That's New Testament, the Lord's Supper. The problem is not with rituals themselves, but with the ritualism, which happens when we go through the motions without an inner disposition to worship God, which means we're just doing it to be doing it. This is, I do this because mama told me to do it, or but I'm not doing it from my heart. So any church that falls into just doing things ritualistically, 
can go through motions, but their heart is not involved, right? And if my heart is not involved, it's not truly worship. It's not true service. Uh, so there's the danger here. Here's the danger. Now, there's another ism because of our complacency and compromise called rationalism. Uh, there's an article written by a Mr. John Day uh, entitled Rationalism or Faith. Uh, the, he says a dictionary defines rationalism as a system of belief regulated by reason, not authority. This was Laodicea. They were regulated by reason, which means if I don't agree with the word of God, I'm going to do what I think is best. Remember, Laodicea means the people will decide. The people will judge. Uh, so rationalism presents a disposition to apply. Um, I, I apply this disposition to my faith, to um, doctrine. Uh, right. And it's the same kind of method that a scientist uses. If it doesn't make any sense, if I can't figure it out, then I'm going to throw it away, right? Um, and it gives in to everything that is natural and not spiritual. Uh, and those of us who have the Holy Ghost can tell you that there are days where the Lord will tell you to do something that makes absolutely no sense, God tells Moses, turn you here. Make camp between Migdal and Piahireth, right? And make camp here. Their backs were facing uh, a valley. They're staring at the Red Sea. Why would God bring me here? Makes no sense. We walk by faith, not by sight. Rationalism throws faith out the window. So, listen, uh, this article says it is, it is possible for a man to be persuaded that the Bible is the word of God on purely rationalistic grounds and therefore believe he's a Christian and not be looked upon as such. Yet in reality, he's not really a Christian. He's not really a believer. Uh, he's not walking by faith. Faith in order to be faith, should not stand in the wisdom of men. Rationalism, the wisdom of men, rationalism, but it stands in the power of God. I'll prove it to you. Paul, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. I'm in the book, but in the power of God. So rationalistic faith is not Christian faith. Hallelujah. It has at its best a form of godliness. Listen, rationalism is not a new thing because even Jesus looked at them, looked at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and said, you have a form of godliness. You have a form of godliness. You have a form of godliness. And listen to what Paul uh, says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So the next ism that I want to discuss 
that has come into the church during this Laodicean age, uh, during our times, is socialism. Yeah. Uh, and um, um, I pulled up an article on online from uh, gotquestions.com. Uh, and it and it describes socialism as being a societal system in which property, natural resources, and the means of production are owned and controlled by the state rather than individuals or private companies. It's the basic belief of socialism is that society as a whole should share in all goods produced. As everyone lives in cooperation with one another, uh, Various theories of socialism have been put forward from ancient times. So it's not new, all the way from ancient times, uh, including a form of social, uh, Christian socialism. Now, um, let's, let's go to social studies in high school. Uh, remember when we were taught about Marxism, uh, a man by the name of Karl Marx. He's the most prominent uh, philosopher to argue in favor of socialism. Uh, and this is what he taught, that uh, he taught that the driving factor behind all of human history is economics. Now, he, he was a German Jew um, in the 1800s, 1818. Uh, and he received, he was 23 years old when he received his doctorate degree. Uh, and according to research, uh, and according to this article, it says he embarked on a mission to prove that human identity is bound up in the person's work, bound up in the person's work, mm -hmm, and that economic systems totally control a person, arguing that mankind survives by labor. And he taught uh, that human communities are created by the division of labor. Now, um, here's the question. Was he right by saying that economics is the catalyst that drives history? And the answer is no. Uh, what directs human history, <coughs> excuse me, what directs human history is the creator of the universe who controls everything. And Jesus said it himself, Revelation 3.14, the latter clause, these things say of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So he says, and I'll read it, I'll read it further. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. That's it in a nutshell. I'm in control. Not the people. God says, I'm in control. He told Israel, I give you power to obtain wealth. If God didn't wake me up this morning, I couldn't come to work. I couldn't come and sit in this office. If God didn't wake you up this morning, you couldn't go to work. No. God controls Listen, he even controls who's in charge of the nation, the most high. This is what Daniel said. 
Listen to what Daniel said. Chapter four of the book of Daniel, verse 17. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men. He said, I don't, and he's Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, I don't care who's sitting on the throne. My God, hallelujah. He rules in the kingdom of men. He'll take you down when he's ready and put somebody else up. Hallelujah. When he's ready. Listen, uh, preacher man, uh, the preacher that feels like because he's sitting in that chair, God can't move you and put somebody else there. We're not building our own personal kingdoms and dominions. We're supposed to be building the kingdom of God. He is the most high. So Daniel is talking and saying, uh, the most high rules in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. God can take somebody out the ghetto and move that rich king off the throne and put that poor man there. God is in control. So, listen uh, to what the article says. It is God who gives a person skill at labor and the wealth that comes from it, not the government. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him. He's, he's quoting from Ecclesiastes. Chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him. For it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and have given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is, listen to Solomon, this is the gift of God. Hallelujah. So uh, socialism is about man working and man doing this. Uh, but God says, I give you power to do this. This is an attitude that uh, the Laodicean church had and many have today. Uh, this is why when it, when it comes to giving to the house of God, uh, this is mine. This is mine. This is my money. I worked hard for it. Yes, you worked hard for it, but if God didn't wake you up, you wouldn't be able to go to work. I give power. And Daniel told the king, he moves in the kingdom of men, putting one up and pulling one down. There's another ism that has come into the church because of our complacency and compromise, and that's the occult, occultism, right? Uh, and I, I went to another resource online called Answers.net, um, and Listen to what it says. Today, many people dabble uh, in the mystical occult arts, right? Is there anything wrong with being involved in these practices? Yeah. There's a whole lot wrong with it. 
The Bible takes a clear position on this subject, strongly denouncing these practices. God created us and therefore he owns us. We are his workmanship. He has a right to set the rules for our lives. Listen, uh, this is why he tells us in Ephesians from the mouth of Paul that we should put on the whole armor of God that will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Hallelujah. But the Laodicean attitude is I'm going to bring it in the church. I'll do what I want to do. I'm educated. I'm wealthy. And I don't have to do it God's way. And I can mix this uh, with whatever I want. Uh, and Israel was told in the Old Testament, don't mix this stuff with me. This is why he got angry at Saul. Uh, because instead of praying to his God, he goes to see a witch. Uh, he got involved in the occult. Listen to what uh, God tells Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 12. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through fire. That was an ancient occult practice or one who practices witchcraft. Isn't that in the church today? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Soothsayers, or one who interprets omens, sorcery, or one who conjures spells, a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. That's necromancy. That's what Saul was doing. He went to a witch. Hallelujah. And they called up Saul. They called, Right? Uh, that was... I'm rather they called up Samuel, but that was an impersonating demon. Uh, got up, people were mixed with necromancy, getting messages from the dead. Uh, and God said, stay away from that. Uh, for all who do these things are an abomination. They are detestable. They are detestable to the Lord. Uh, so let's talk about some of these occults that we have brought into the church. You, you see saints rubbing on crystals, wearing crystals around their neck, right? Uh, because there's supposed to be power in the crystal. Uh, they need healing. That's called crystalmency. Necromancy is talking to the dead. Mediums, when you go to someone that can talk to somebody who's dead for you. Witchcraft, spiritualism, right? Spiritualism has been among apostolics and in, in so-called holiness churches, right? When you go up for prayer uh, and they have salt and water on the table, that's witchcraft. Instead of laying hands on you, they sprinkle salt and they put salt behind their back. Uh, listen, uh, as a musician, I played in, in many churches and uh, one night I'm sitting at, a, at an engagement with a group that I was playing for and this church was caught up in spiritualism. Uh, and a woman came up for prayer after the preacher preached. Uh, and the next thing I know, uh, they had a man lifting her up in the air, chanting something. Uh, and he had a, a fishbowl on one side, oil on the other side, salt here. And he's sprinkling salt. That was spiritualism, right? And then he told uh, somebody to open the door of the church and let the spirits out. I said, my God, where am I at? Never went back, never went back there. If, the, if that choir I played for went back there, uh, I, I wasn't going to play that night. 
because they were wrapped up in spiritualism. Told one, one brother that came up, get a white flower and crush it and put it on your dresser. What kind of stuff is that? Uh, but when we're, the church is complacent and we compromise, right? People will bring all that into church and the angel of the church, that's who the letter was addressed to, read this letter out to the congregation, right? This stuff should not be in my house. You're allowing it to be so. There's white and black magic, tarot card reading, right? You'll be surprised. Uh, you drive by these places where they say we read palms. Saints of God have no business sitting in front of a tarot card reader, uh, calling that 800 number to talk to that medium. Uh, you better cut that out. Uh, there's enchantments, horoscopes. You hear the people of God talking about what's your sign? Hallelujah. What's your sign? What are you? Uh, you better leave that stuff alone. All of these isms. There's, uh, and there are others that I can go through. There's uh, ecumenicalism, right? Where you're bringing people together. Uh, the word, let's, let's deal with it. Ecumenism uh, comes from a family of classical Greek words. And it, it really means just... Uh, bringing everyone together, one universal uh, celebration or fellowship. The problem comes is when we don't all believe uh, the same. We don't all believe the same about salvation, right? Um, so you'll, you'll have a holiness preacher trying to worship uh, with a Muslim, right? I don't even worship the same God you worship. So how can we really walk together except we agree? Uh, and sometimes what you hear from the pulpit is not the word of God. It's taken from somebody that doesn't even believe in your God, but you're using it to minister uh, to the people of God. Uh, is being economical biblical? Um, let's talk about it. Uh, and, and the way that this article answers it uh, in gotquestions.com, it says any unity among true Christians is important. Uh, and they give Psalms 133 and 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He references the prayer that Jesus prayed. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. John 17, 22. But he says what I just described. What if some of those who profess Christianity actually are denying the basic fundamentals of our faith? They deny that Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. They deny uh, that that. The Holy Ghost is necessary. They deny this. So um, you have to consider who you join with. You have to consider uh, who you unify with. There's materialism. Um, and with materialism, I'm going to start with scripture. And I'm almost through um, Hebrews 13 and 5. Keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Luke 12 and 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life, this is Jesus talking. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
John, 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Um, and let's read Mark 8 and 36. This is Jesus talking. He says, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So, the Laodicean church, in the latter part of the church age, many believe we're living in the Laodicean age now, right? Uh, this is us. This, this describes how the church, what's going on inside the church today. Materialism is defined as the preoccupation with material things rather than intellectual or spiritual things. If, if a believer, a saved person is preoccupied with material things, it's wrong. Yes, that is not to say that we can't have things, but the obsession by acquiring or caring for stuff, my stuff means more to me than my salvation, than serving my God. It's dangerous for two reasons. Number one, any preoccupation, obsession, or fascination with anything other than God is a sin. You have made that your idol, your God. It's depleasing to him. He told Israel, I want you to love me with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Deuteronomy 6 and 5. Jesus says in Matthew 22, 37 and 38, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Hallelujah. So, really, God. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing we can and should occupy ourselves habitually. He means more to me than anything. He alone is worthy of my complete attention, my love and my sacrifice. And to offer these things to anything or anyone else is idolatry. And I hear John saying, uh, my little children, stay away from idols. Now, I know this is a whole lot of isms, uh, and there are many more, uh, but it's time for us to, to make a choice. Uh, this is what Jesus is saying in, in the third chapter of Revelation to the Laodicean church. I'll read verses 18 and 19 again, and I'm getting ready to close. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich and white raiment, and that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness is, does not appear, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke. I'm doing this because I love you. I'm rebuking you because I love you. I'm chastening you because I love you. He says, be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. So he's giving an opportunity to be restored. Let me restore your spiritual values. Let me restore your spiritual virtues. Let me restore your spiritual vision. Values, put it in the comments section. Restore spiritual values, spiritual virtues, and spiritual vision. And one word, he says, will bring you back to a place of restoration of your values, virtues, and vision. Repent. 
Turn away from all of this ism. Turn away. Get rid of that witchcraft and throw that horoscope. Throw those crystals out. Stop mixing that garbage with your salvation. Stop being so lukewarm. You're making me nauseous. And your worship has become tainted with all of this rubbish. If you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. So he says in chapter 20, I'm getting ready to close. To the sinners in the congregation, he says, I will come into him. I'll read the verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. So to the sinners in the congregation, he says, I'll come into you. I'll have dinner with you and you'll have dinner with me. To the saints in the congregation, those who are overcoming, those who are not giving in to that mess, he says to you, to the overcometh, to the victorious, those who have pushed that mess away, I don't need the horoscope. I don't need a soothsayer. I don't need anybody to read my palm. I have Jesus and he's enough for me. To him that overcometh, he says, you'll sit with me in my throne. Even as I overcame, even as I was tempted, right? The enemy took me up to a high place and said, worship me. I'll give you all of this, right? He said, no, get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me. If you're who you are, make this stone. I know you're hungry. Turn it into bread. Man shall not live. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He said, if you overcome, you'll sit down with me. And my father in, just like I sit down with my father at his throne. Hallelujah. So, I've got to quit. I've got to close. Uh, but here is what we learned from Laodicea. And I'm going to come back to Laodicea at another time uh, because we're living in this day now. Uh, three things <clears throat> that I learned from Laodicea. One, don't be lukewarm. Don't be indifferent or lacking zeal and discernment. I know your works. You're neither hot or cold. I could wish, I wish you were cold or hot, so then because you're lukewarm and not cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Number two, don't feel self-sufficient. Look at it from God's perspective and see how much you need from him. Because you say I'm rich and I'm wealthy and have no need of nothing, and you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Hallelujah. Gold that's refined in the fire. You don't even know that the gold that you're wearing uh, is fake. You ever have, you ever wear anything that's fake gold that starts turning colors on you? Hallelujah. You've lost your discernment and you can't see how fake you are. He said, I counsel you to buy gold from me. It's the real deal. Hallelujah. Yes, it's the real deal. And let me clothe you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because you're naked. And let me anoint your eyes with eye salve so you can see. The third, accept and act on God's correction. When he makes that correction, do what he says. 
We should invite him into our lives and he will invite us to sit on his throne. I'm the one who corrects and disciplines everyone with love. Be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look here, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear me calling, open the door and I'll come in and sup with you and you with me. Hallelujah. Yes, and I will invite everyone who is victorious, he who overcomes, to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. That's Revelation 19 through 21, chapter 3. So how do we avoid becoming lukewarm? And I'm closing with this. Number one, cling to the vine. Hallelujah. Put it in the comments section. Cling to the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. John 15 and 5. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. And remember, the Laodicean mentality is I have everything I need. Leave me alone. Let me do what I want to do. Let me do what I want to do. There's a wonderful article written by Miss Annette Mary Griffin. This is where I'm getting this information from. Three ways to avoid being lukewarm. The first is to cling to the vine. The best way to keep the church from becoming lukewarm is to cling to the head of the church. <laughs> and that's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ. Christ before all things and in him, that's what Paul said to the Colossian church, all things hold together. The church is forever and completely the property of Jesus Christ. It's his church, not ours. It's his church. So cling to the vine. Second thing to avoid becoming lukewarm, cling to the vine, cling to the truth. Cling to the truth. John, the gospel according to St. John, chapter 8, verses 31, 32. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Right? We're living in a time of fake news, half-truths, re-identified identities. You don't know if it's a he or a she. Right? You can change it on your your birth certificate, when you meet him, it's really a she. They're teaching this in school, right? And lukewarm churches adapt their teachings to the world, right? So in this Laodicean church, you could step in there and see everything in the church that you see in the street. And there shall be a difference between my children and the children of the world. Cling to the truth. Hold on to sound doctrine. Hallelujah. And it's through the power of the Holy Ghost that the church should minister. And what do we minister? What do we preach? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth. Tell them the truth. And the truth will make them free. So cling to the vine. Cling to the truth. The third, we have to cling to redemption. 1 Timothy 1.19 holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. 
We all know by now that sin separates us. Lukewarm churches don't start out tepid. Mm -hmm. Little by little, listen, they allow sin to creep into the body unchecked. They'll make excuses for it. They'll overlook it. That's a lukewarm church. Whether they want to avoid uh, confrontation or just more concerned with building a brand. Let's build a brand, build a brand. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to damage the brand. Hallelujah. Cling to redemption. It's kingdom work. Lukewarm churches allow little sprinkles of yeast, a little leaven, to grow until the whole church becomes infected. Hallelujah. My God. My God, I'm going to stop there. Cling to redemption. Cling to the truth concerning salvation. Hallelujah. You can't be saved and unsaved at the same time. You can't be clean and dirty at the same time. You can't be holy and unholy at the same time. Hallelujah. You can't be a child of God and a child of the world at the same time time. Let's not be lukewarm. I'm going to stop there. Hallelujah. But I feel the Holy Ghost in this room with me. Learn the lesson. Let's repent and turn from our wicked ways. Come back to God. Be holy. Hallelujah. Remember that song we used to sing? I wish somebody's soul would uh, catch on fire. Hallelujah. And I hear the Lord telling us we need to catch on fire. We need to operate under the unction of the Holy Ghost, uh, work in love and unity, hold on to the truth, hold on to the vine, hallelujah, hold on to your redemption. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we thank you so much, hallelujah, for all that you've done for us, and we thank you for this series. Oh God, we thank you for every lesson that you have taught us, I pray that you would take the seeds that have been planted and bring forth harvest, repentance, turning away and coming closer to you so we can be the church that you're looking for in these last and evil days. If you see anything that's not like you, take it away from us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. I know I've taken up a lot of your time, and I apologize for that. Uh, but if you'd like to plant the seed in this ministry, you may do so now. Technician will put that on the screen. Uh, Father, we thank you for every seed that's about to be planted. Bless both gift and giver in Jesus' name. Those of you at the Annex in the Bronx, you may use Givelify. If you have a request that you want to send to me, you may do so. Admin at GRTDC. Dot org. I'm rushing because I know I've held you a long time. Listen, I want to recommend uh, a series. Uh, you want to get, continue to get deeper into Revelation. A young lady by the name of Dr. Shirley McClurklin Motley. Uh, if you go to thehoneyintherock.com, that's thehoneyintherock.com, the honey uh, you'll see a series of series there on Revelation. Uh, Dr. Motley is a product of Cool JC. Uh, she's in the process of, of writing books. Uh, there aren't any uh, apostolic 
uh, writers out there writing commentaries and books. Uh, and she is on a venture. And she's a product of Cool JC. She comes out of Refuge Temple uh, there in South Carolina, uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, Dr. Shirley McClurklin Motley. Uh, she's in the midst of teaching a wonderful series on the book of Revelation. I think she's up to chapter 12. Uh, follow her if you would. Uh, get into this book. Get into the word. Uh, and let the word get into you. I thank God for all of you. And I pray uh, that until we see each other on next week, that you'll be careful, you'll be prayerful, and you'll be holy. Shalom. Shalom.